This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? I am ready. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm very fortunate enough to be with my friend, Adam Balkovic of Built Sharp Knives Manufacturing. Adam's a knife maker from Philly, and now he's down in Florida, and now he's here with me. Adam, how are you? Jeff, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> what, what brought you down to Florida from Philly? Well, uh, I mean, that's like a big jump because there's a whole lot of stuff in, in between those two. Well, we'll start the people we'll start of how you're at where you are right now, and then we'll head back. I know yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, well, we moved uh, to the Florida area because um, my wife and I have family down here, and you know, conveniently enough, even when we first met, it was like um, one of our we had just started dating, and then we ended up going to like each other's family's house for Christmas right away because we, you know, took the plane to the same yeah. airport. So. Um, I'm in Jacksonville now, and uh, we moved down here just, you know, we have a kid, and when we were living in North Carolina, we were in the middle of nowhere, so we wanted a little bit more of, like, a neighborhood environment for him to be able to expand into, and like I said, we got family down here, so it made sense, but, yeah. Uh, so both your families are down there? That's nice. Yeah. It makes It makes things a little bit more, yeah, that whole family thing is great, because that's the one thing my kid really kind of like misses is we don't have a very close family. I mean, my, uh, my, my wife's side of the family is, uh, all of the place. And then my family, my sisters are kind of all over the place. So, so there's definitely like, especially now with COVID-19, there's a very, she feels a little bit displaced. And I always feel very guilty about that. She feels like we have other family out in, Cal- in California and they're very, very close and they see each other on Fridays, which would drive me crazy. But, <laughs> the, but they, um, they're very, very close. And I always feel like I've kind of dropped the ball with my fam, my kid by not having my family very close. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, don't let me mislead you. We're not close. <laughs> we just live close <laughs> okay. together. So, yeah. Okay. Um, that's fair. Yeah, but like, uh, Jackie's parents are literally across the bridge. Like I live technically in um, Fernandina Beach. That's like the city I live in, and it's on Amelia Island. And uh, it's the, like if you're coming down 95. Here's the directions of my house. Coming to down 95, get off that first exit in the state. Everything's on 95 in Florida, though. Yeah, but everything's off 95, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, no, not if you're coming in from the west and you take like. Oh. 10 or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But, um, yeah, you come in 95, get off first exit, and then you drive towards the ocean on the left, the East Ocean. And then when you hit the ocean, you're pretty much there. That's the beach. So how does a guy from how – do how does it feel? Because, you I mean, you were born and raised in Philly, right? Yeah, uh, I'm like – you know, I got ice in my blood. I'm a northerner for sure. I know. But... You get a long beard. I don't know how you're dealing with that uh... – the, the Florida weather. You're from the north. Hey man, beard works both ways. You know, is it, it's a scarf. Is it really? And when I go outside, this is no joke. So I go outside and it's like 100 degrees at like 90, 90% humidity, right? I'm sweating. I can stick my hands in my beard and it'll be cool from the air conditioner, like in the workshop. You know, a couple minutes. 
Sure, yeah. But yeah, it's an insulation wow. thing. Beard's awesome. You're supposed to have facial hair. You know? Just I you know, I, I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure you are. My grandfather used to tell me my, my mother's father used to say, Never trust anyone with a mustache. Oh, that's and not terrible. Um, <laughs> But I mean, you know, it scared me. I used to think that, and then, and then someone might, uh, somebody told me that people who have beards are hiding things. Yeah, well, not like physically hiding. A beard not has like... a mustache, but it is not right. just the mustache. So no, it's understand. But I mean, the, if the idea is, is the idea is, is maybe what are you hiding? You know, it's like no chin. Is this some, some sort of. <laughs> I wasn't meaning for, <laughs> I wasn't meaning <laughs> I wasn't meaning physically I was meaning mentally <laughs> is it something are you hiding something that's why you know with the blacksmiths I mean you have a you have a beard that would you know you'd fit right into a, you know if you went to an Abana convention or you showed up to like a blacksmithing thing they'd you know you'd be like you know it would be like a, you would be accepted because all those guys have those long beards I just you know for me it's always been something that I just could never pull off, but then I always used to have in the back of my mind, I used to think, what are you hiding, you know? Yeah, um, the beard's not all glory. Because, like, I'm not, like, the most personable <laughs> kind of guy. And it's really? like, well, I mean, like, I, you know, I'm nice, but I don't want to, like, talk to everybody all the time. And, like, yeah. um, the beard and tattoos are just, like, invites. I can't tell you, how, like, how long I've sat at the McDonald's window while the guy's, like, holding my drink, and I'm like, just give me the drink. Just give it to me, man. <laughs> well, no, and it's just like, oh, we like, met a few beard. years ago. Like, Thank you. Thank you. But like, the McDonald's people compliment you on your I beard? Get, like on, you know, anything. Just like, you know, you got tattoos and a beard. So they stand out. And people like that. And I, got, I mean, like, I got a pretty thick beard. I've been, you know, yeah. sculpting that thing for years now. So. I don't think you're very not personal. We met, we met at Blade Show with your wife, Jackie. Um, I seem to remember we just started talking and we had a very nice conversation and we uh, spent a little time together and I thought you were very personal. Oh, well, thank you. I find that hard to believe that you're not. I, I went there to social. be personable, but it, you know, Oh, okay. you know, you're at the grocery store and I'm checking out next to you. Don't talk to me. That's fine. <laughs> get your shit done. Get out of my way. You, the gr you know what? You may raise a good point because we have a couple, I had to change grocery stores because the one grocery store we went to turned into like the town meeting hall and you'd bump into people like i would bump into five or ten different people that i know and then you gotta stop and you gotta talk and then you gotta and it's just and it's like i just want to get my, my i just want to get my you know whatever my rice and leave and i don't i don't need to oh God. and then it got to the point where my kid used to come with me and then she'd be like oh god there's that person there we gotta talk to them and it would be actually the last thing the last per the last reason why i stopped going is because I have I'm supposed to do this sculpture that I'm kind of loath to do and it's a little bit political and I'm just kind of cooling my jets on it. I just don't really feel like working on it at all. And um I haven't I was supposed to I it was a it's a kind of a freebie for me to the people and the, the it the whole thing is just like I'm just cooling my jets on the whole project and you know whatever. And um a guy had read that I was a guy that I know read about it and then he just came right up to me in the grocery store and telling me what I should be doing and how I should be handling it and how I should be approaching it. And I'm just standing there with the cart and I'm just thinking to myself, I just I don't I just want to get groceries and I want to leave. I, I don't want to be lectured to and I was and I just ended up he's a writer and I just told him I was like, you know, I don't tell you how to write. You worry about your books. I'll worry about the sculpture. Okay. Let's just keep it. Let's just, this is the grocery store. I need a little bit of, you're not, you're not, 
there at the grocery store at your best anyway. You know, you, some people are in their sweatpants or, you know, maybe they haven't brushed their teeth or something and you just, this isn't the time for our place for uh, Fritz. And I don't think that what you said is incorrect. I think that that's 100%, you know, accurate. Don't go, don't go up to Adam at the grocery store and, and, you know, try to be friendly. I mean, I, I think I try to, you know, maintain that image of, don't come and talk to me by having the beard and the tattoos, but you know, it is, it is definitely me. one of those things, but down here, down in Florida, I think would think beard and tattoos is like the welcome sign of Florida. I'm in like the, okay. I'm not in Florida. Right. So I am, but I'm in, I'm in South Georgia. But then, like I said, it's not, I'm basically on an Island and right. it's just a retirement community here. And you either work at the Omni plantation, like, country club hotel thing whatever that that is it's like you know the resort that's it's a resort the whole south end of the island is a resort so you either work there or you vacation there so the people who do live here it's like all just older retired folks so it's kind of lame it's not like a super fun beach town but man it's like it's it was quiet but now you know it's just like anything else place built up but beach is awesome because you can go out and um it's not like up north or you go to the Jersey Shore, you got to pay. And then you get to be in like a football field worth of beach with 2,000 other people. This is like you can go somewhere and then not see anybody. So that's my favorite part of living here is I'm, not, I'm definitely more a mountains person. You know, you got beaches or mountains or whatever. I like hiking. I'd rather have that big change of landscape. But the ocean is super awesome, especially where we live, just because... Like, like I said, it's, there's tons of houses all along the beach. There, there's one about a mile stretch of it at the end of the island where the houses stop and there's a national park. So if you have the ambition, you can go to the beach access and walk like 100 yards past the houses. And then you got a mile of open beach that all these old folks can't go down. So it's, you know, right. it's pretty awesome to be able to go out there and, you know, stars are real cool here. Um, the meteor showers are awesome at the beach because I've only ever lived anywhere where there's trees. So it's like, there's a lot more light pollution here, but there's tons more sky. So that's been something I've really been enjoying, but you know, it's not like you can go out and look at stars so much, but yeah, it's it's really cool. So you grew up in a rural part of Pennsylvania? Or? Yeah, like smack in the middle of it. Uh, Harrisburg is the capital of the state. Oh, yeah, I know Harrisburg. Yeah, yeah sure. So is that where you're from? Like the area, um, a suburb of Harrisburg. We have good friends, uh, college friends in, in Harrisburg, and we used to go, uh, we used to go, we used to go quarterly and meet them in Harrisburg, and then we all go to Sesame Place with our children who are very young until Sesame Place just seemed a little bit, it was a little bit too Philly. It got a little bit like, it went from being very Bert and Ernie to uh, very scary. Um, And uh, we loved Harrisburg. I I remember them, we used to go to there, there was a, like a, kind of like a market uh, in the center of town, and they had all this great Vietnamese food and all sorts of stuff. Harrisburg is just a beautiful city. That that river and everything like that. It's two streets, so I don't know if you really call it a city, but it. Okay. It's. I mean, it's a sweet spot, and I gotta say, like growing up there, um, 
I did not appreciate what there was in central Pennsylvania. Cause that's a cool spot. Even like yeah. I moved around a lot. I've never lived off the East coast, but I've been off the East coast. I've eaten a lot of food. I've eaten some really awesome food. I have never eaten anything as good as a sub in central Pennsylvania. Not a hoagie, not a grinder. That was Philly just came out big time. Yeah, no, not a hoagie. And when you, when you say different. food, <laughs> you're as a Pennsylvania coming through right there. Yeah. So Pennsylvania's food is awesome. Central Pennsylvania's food is the best food I have ever eaten. And I've eaten like, like I said, I've eaten five star chef stuff. We'll get into the food thing later. Yeah. I got lots of food to talk about, but whatever you want. Yeah. Um, so, so you grew up in, so Harrisburg is a, is an awesome area. Uh, and then, you were kind of like, I, from what I understand, you did a lot of woodworking with your parents, your father. Um, so I had, so, oh man, this is like a super complicated one. So my dad sucks. And, um, <laughs> I don't really know how often, like, that was, this didn't sound very complicated. No, I'm just going to like get right to it. So like my, my dad had a woodworking shop in our house. And then when we moved, I moved out of, like I, I was just real quick to answer your question. Like, go ahead. Born and like Take your grew time. up in like a regular ass suburban '80s neighborhood. It was awesome. Like tons of kids and then no supervision. So um, that was great. But then we left that house because they had bought this Girl Scout camp and like wrecked it. Despite all the Girl Scouts, yeah. My dad and his brother. My um. So my dad and my uncle bought Girl Scout camp. And then they like protested them and like laughed as they drove the bulldozer over the like pavilions and childhood memories of all these women. So why did they do that? They're assholes. <laughs> so um, built this like two million dollar mansion and and like nineteen ninety two dollars. Um, and the whole basement of it was like two regular people houses. And then one of those regular people houses was this amazing workshop that he had built. And it had a, like, I don't even know how big it was. It was like a hot water tank, like an industrial water tank that took up the length of one of the walls. And that was the air compressor. Dude didn't even like, he had like a nailer, you know? So um, I had this really dope workshop that I would go and like, you know, it was part of the house. And I was a rambunctious youngster for sure. So like I got into some yeah. shit. But like we would do projects and uh, like growing up, there was like, like I lived in the middle of nowhere. So like I kind of skipped over that. We like Girl Scout camp, right? It's camp in the middle of what's the side of the mountain. So weekends, I didn't have friends or anything to go hang out with. And it meant like we're doing log chopping, tree removal, rock gathering. So the lawnmower doesn't do it. Or like get into the rocks and then, you know, clearing a field and a bunch of it was just like a ton of work, which yeah. you know, kid again, totally didn't appreciate having like this mountain and everything to roam on. But I mean, at the same time, it kind of sucked because I was out in the middle of nowhere, and um, it was like I had a golf cart, but the golf cart was used to haul rocks, and. Um, <laughs> That was, so, cruising around the woods and hauling rock. What were you doing with the rocks? Just, just moving them. them out of the field. Yeah, because it was like okay. there's like swamp area where 
we had a pond and a creek, and then there was this like huge 300-yard field. It was awesome. But like I said, a lot of upkeep. And then we didn't have any like, there was not one other person that took care of that property except like my dad and um, I guess me. So um, yeah, having that shop, like when they cleared out that, all that, like the forest and everything, they kept the trees and they cured them. And like, I, I am pretty sure, I don't know this, you know, I never like asked, but pretty sure all the, the millwork in our house was from the trees that they had cut down. It was all oak. So like, okay. you have to look at the pictures of it. Um, there, the architect got like an award for this house. It's ridiculous. It's on top of a mountain. You could like see it like Batman house when you drive by it. Right. Um, it is the most boring, like uninspired place you could ever be. The whole fucking thing is oak. It's white oak, floor yeah. to ceiling, all the cabinets, everything. Like it's it's an interesting decision to like to like bulldoze <laughs> bulldoze this this area that people care about, and then when you remove the trees, you you take the trees that people care cared about and then you put them in your house yeah. it's like and it's then you do a like, bad job at it you have bad it's taste it's almost like kind of like it's like harvesting the tears of these people <laughs> you know it's just like you don't, you didn't like it so much that i'm gonna fucking use it for everything in this house yeah um that's great what did he do for a living oh my father? god okay so i have no idea <laughs> oh no not you have no idea. I have a you don't even bit know of an idea. Like he was a schmoozer, right. right? So when I was a kid, he drove places. Like he'd go to Virginia for the day and like come back and had a meeting. And what the fuck that means, I don't know. So um we're like doing contracts or just like we had an office and the office had like my dad's side of the family worked in the office and it was like a full blown like four or five employees, rooms of boxes full of, you know, financial documents that I had no idea that I was smuggling around and like, you know, hiding like financial stuff, I guess from the IRS or whatever, because we'd have these boxes full of tax and tax stuff and like receipts and things and invoices. And then we'd have to like shuffle them from place to place. It was like this thing that we did, but yeah. Who's we? Like our whole family. It was like, oh, it's box day. We're going to move the boxes from our attic to my uncle's attic today. Okay. And then like move them back next time. So like, I don't know. What? Yeah, there's like weird shit growing up. So, um, so he had an office and I don't really know what he did, but we had like, this is when I was a lot younger and it was awesome. We had a, a cabin at Raystown Lake in Pennsylvania. It's kind of like out west, northwest a little bit, not quite to Erie yeah. or Pittsburgh. But you get to go up the old Pennsylvania turnpike through like a bunch of mountain tunnels. And then when you get to the lake, the lake is made from a valley with a town in it. And I think, I don't know if, if it still is, but I think it's America's largest man-made lake or deepest huh. and um it was the 80s so it was awesome we were like the only people on the lake that had jet skis because we were rich but like not um like we weren't so rich that we like right. did a bunch of stuff so this is kind of like weird this is going to be this weird thing i'm going to try to like explain and not sound like a privileged asshole the whole way through because it was like 
I didn't know we were rich until we moved into that house. And then when we moved into the house, I still didn't like live the rich lifestyle because like all the other people that I knew who like I went to school with and I'd go to their house, they had big houses, but they weren't as big as my house, but the shit in their house nicer, you know? So that was like, oh, they have more money than we do. Kind of a thing. Like I figured, my child did, mind. Did I was you, like, my parents. Did you, were you ever suspicious when you got older that huge house something and was kind of didn't have any money to do this? anything on the inside with it? Right? No. Oh boy. I. Oh my god! Yeah, just whatever you want, whatever so you much. want, we'll whatever you it. want. Holy moly! I got I got like stories out the wazoo. So this is just like setting it up so you can even understand what I'm going to tell you. All right. So to answer your question. We like my dad had clients, they would go on vacations to the lake and then he would talk to them and I guess get their business or whatever. Now, as to what all that entailed, I have no idea. But he worked in telecommunications and when he was young and started the company that they had, he was like running cable on telephone lines. And then I think they made enough money doing that that they were able to like hire some guys to go and do the telephone lines and then they would get the jobs. And then I think they did enough of that, that then they were the middleman who was doing like project coordination between contractors and bigger telecommunication companies. That's where I fell off. Like I was a child, nobody told me anything. So that's what I've just been able to gather. So yeah, like his big break was they put the fiber optic system in the Pentagon. And that was in like the eighties or nineties, maybe the seventies. I don't know. But like before I could remember, they weren't working on that when I was alive. So yeah, they were making fucking bank. And um, we stole cable. You know, we had like a black box. They got all the premium channels, and like they didn't have cable at our house. Yeah. But like my dad's in the telecommunication company, right? And his friend George. Um, was like a bucket truck guy, like the guy go to your house and like fix the line, right? So they just like wired up the connection across the river. It was not a river, like a creek, and then ran a new line up to our house. That was how we had cable. But then, like, I don't think you could have. So b- back to that back to your, back to that shop. I mean, service, it, so it sounds like you had so a lot of like opportunities cable. to work with, um, you know, really great tools, and I'm. It, and I'm bringing this up yeah. because, you know, and we haven't really gotten into it. We're 20 minutes in and I haven't, you know, one of the things about uh, Adam and Built Sharp is the work is, he makes beautiful, beautiful knives, fixed knives, kitchen knives, uh, hunting knives, he makes beautiful folders. And there's this super interesting level of um, machine, a machine. I mean, I, I see you as one of the best knife making machinists i've ever met i've ever seen and then there's a very mathematical quality to your work it is incredibly pristine and then it contrasts with very vibrant colors and i want to think that you have some kind of art background because between the colors and the and the the method in which you put them on there's a very there's a lot of contrast going on that's very pleasing so what i'm what i'm going to back into it is I'm, i'm wondering how you kind of like started in kind of having these developing ideas. And I wonder if the, that giant, beautiful shop your dad had with the, with the, with the big air compressor had anything to do with it.
I mean, <clears throat> the workshop was cool, but like I never got to use anything or like help. I would help, but like it usually just meant like stand here and catch this board as it comes out of the planer. So, um, like we did a few projects. Like I built an RC airplane, but like again, I never got to do like the important stuff. So having that workshop there was just right. something like I remember that growing up and being like, yeah, table saw. That's really cool. I'm not allowed to use that thing. So, I mean, that was kind of that, but I've always been into art, man. Like, I remember, I have a really awesome memory. Um, I remember, like, not being able to talk and, like, stuff back then, kind of a deal. So, like, I remember jumping out of the crib and, like, climbing up, like, over the gate and, like, going to my parents' You had a wonderful story about art. I remember, like way back <laughs> but um you said you shit, now you I lost said my train you of thought. had a memory is we were when you could talk but it was uh, in regards I got to such a great memory I lose my you were train very of thought artful. oh yeah well so when I was a kid like dude I would um I would draw stuff from the TV I used to draw Ninja Turtles and like the cartoons that I would, uh, I was watching and everybody's like, Oh, you're such an artist, you know? And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I can draw. And then when I hit like 10, like not quite puberty yet. Right. This is like young kids fit still. I like capped on my ability to draw. So like well, today as a 35 year old man, with, I, mean, I can draw I think that a lot just as well as I could when I was 10 years old. naturally get better, better without, <laughs> so. and unfortunately it is, drawing is like, it's like a muscle. And I know, I know guys who have to, they have to draw every day. And it's like, it's not like a bicycle. You know, it's, it's one of those things that you do get rusty. So that doesn't really surprise me. Like if you put the pencil down, you're not going to, and you don't keep doing it. You know, my old art teacher used to say you have to draw every single day, you know, and it's, and it's otherwise you, you lose it. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah, I never really had any like guidance and that kind of stuff. Like I wasn't, that was never uh, like recognized or nurtured, you know, as me growing up, like I, I got threatened that like if I that's didn't just, that's work always hard been enough very and study, me I'd be cursed this, with working this, with my hands one day. This, I don't know what it is. Now. It's this concept that people who are smart, you know, it's almost like people who are smart enough don't have to work with their hands and they make more money. And it's just, there's, there's this level of, it's just, it's so dis disconcerting. It's so disconcerting. And it also comes from this whole idea of, you know, I talk about, you know, the difference between an artist and a craftsman. And, and a lot of times people will use the word artist as almost like a level up from craftsman. And, you know, it's 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 more, oh, you're not just an, an artist. You're not just a craftsman, but you're an artist. And it's as if one is better than the other. It's a very strange idea. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, it takes a certain level because, I mean, you can be a craftsman. Well, that's the and thing. Make, it's like, it, it's, it's the like, idea that. I don't know. I'm well, trying to think of something that's not like demeaning to a craftsperson, but like. But I mean, know, this something is the, regular the and useful. But no, not, no, 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 like, no, no, no. I just think that there is something like, to be said that a lot of people put the pressure I mean, on. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, talking over you. I'm going to stop. You talk. 
to get a job where they're either behind a desk or something and the thought of actually going on a job site or going, you know, you know, working for a union or not even that, or that there's something, you know, there's something uh, demeaning about it. And it is very strange, especially nowadays where people who are making things are actually being, um, you know, well, that's the whole thing about the, you know, the concept of the blacksmith. And I talk to blacksmiths all the time is that like back in the day, and I was talking to Alex uh, Pohl last week, we were talking about, you know, two weeks, you know, two, 200 years ago, that was job security is being a black, you know, you were doing everything for everybody. And now it's so obscure that people with what I refer to as soft hands, you know, they just don't have any kind of, they just don't understand. I, I meet this guy, I meet this guy and his wife and his wife says, ah, my, my husband couldn't turn a screwdriver. And it's like, there is something to be said about being a little bit self-reliant, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm with you. The, uh, <sighs> Jeff, I'm going to be honest Go, with you. I, yeah. I totally touched my earbud and it like played. Okay. All right. Let me talk. I'll keep talking. I'm not going to edit this. Adam, like, this is, this is real shit. Through, I, I lost um, like the last but, like five seconds. No, it's fine. It, but, but are you feeling good now? Are you feeling like you're with me now? Okay. Okay. Shit, well, I have a theory and I'm going to set up set this theory up. I've been thinking about it for a while and I, and, and Yes. Maybe you can help me with this um, theory and I want to get back into it and, you know, see how it goes. Um, I have always, people have been breaking my, you know, I was on that dumb YouTube video where people would made fun of my hands. And I've been making, for years, I've been telling knife makers especially, stop taking these hand picks because nobody really wants yes. to see your disgusting hands and picture the knife going to someone. And I, and, and I take a lot, I don't take a lot of heat. I mean, people break my balls about it. But what I came to the conclusion with is, and I see a lot of people with, you know, you know, workers, people, knife makers and stuff like that. I'm starting to kind of create this theory that people's hands dictate the type of people they are as well. So like when you see someone with very, very uh, crisp, um, uh, very, very you know, intricate work and their hands oh, are very yeah. uh, soft and clean and prepared that maybe that they have some 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 degree of like control issues or something like that. I'm starting to try to work out this these details for a theory that I'm starting to you know I mean, I you know cuz me I, I just throw my hands in everything. I I don't really I have a little bit more uh spontaneity in the what I the way I work. I'll sometimes a little bit of recklessness and uh what happens is is I my hands are just usually cut up and fucked up and I got epoxy on them and stuff like that and and I think that there's a degree of carelessness in that and there's a little bit of recklessness in that too. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. You're hundred percent right. You think so? Because I mean it depends yeah. Like if you're like think about your method, right? If you're gonna forge out a blade and then you're gonna freehand grind it and then you're gonna glue it up and do all that work, your hands are gonna be trashed. Yeah. You're getting in there and doing it. Whereas if you're perhaps, let's say, one step up, just if we're talking knives, um, if you're going to be doing stock removal, you might use a jig, and then your hands are going to be, you know, way out of the way of getting marred up yeah. by the grinder, but you're not going to slip and, like, run your fingernail off. Yeah. But, you know, you're going to get dirty and gross from doing that. Whereas if you go even another step further... Let's say you just design stuff 
and then you have that as an OEM project and you just assemble them. You know, that's yeah. like, you're absolutely right because that methodology to that same goal is going to like 100% come out in your personality on how you get there. It has the work to be. That you do to, yeah. I think, I think, I, but I, I always, I see, cause I see, you know, I see people who make just exquisite work and I look at their hands and I'm like, those fucking hands didn't make that. That 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 thing. Their hands are there's no burns. There's no the fingernails are perfectly fine. There's no like cuts and bruises and shit. And then I see guys like me, and you know, I I, I like a little bit of humanity in my work, uh, just because that's just the person that I am. And my hands are all fucked up, and they're all you know. I gotta wear gloves and put my keep my hands in my pockets when I'm out, and you know, or when people meet me and I shake their hands, they're just like, oh Jesus Christ, what the fuck is going on with them? I just wonder. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep working on this theory. I'm going to keep working on this theory um, in regards to people's personalities. But let's just get... You can judge my fingers all you want. They're in pretty... I do... I only do hand <laughs> I don't look at people... I honestly... I don't like people's hands. I don't want to look at people's feet. I just honestly... I'm becoming so much more antisocial. I don't want to know anything about anybody. I don't want to see anything about anybody. So, so how did you... I know that you work for... I know that what you know later in your later in your life uh from youth you started working for a cheese company and you were making cheese boards um in the basement that's in in philly yeah. and and then how did you turn that into starting to make knives uh so i worked at bruno brothers and it's like when i started working there it was like 2000 Eight, I think around there. I just got out of college. And um, what did you go to college it for? Was, I went for photography, hmm. and I started when that was still a good idea. Like I went to school. I went to the Art Institute. Don't anybody ever go to the Art Institute? Holy Christ! <laughs> I went to the Art Institute. I was on my own as a teenager. Like a fast forward through all my ham family history bullshit. I like emancipated myself basically as a teenager and then didn't finish high school but i took the like final i guess it would have been like a ged test but since i took it before i graduated it counted as my like final exam score and then when i went to go to this college I was like, yeah, I don't know what my transcripts look like. I did a lot of drugs in high school. And then I ended up having like a 3.8 because huh. I took the, the, I took this test and that one test that I took was my entire score for high school. Huh? Ridiculous. So wait a second, wait a second. Yeah. Back, I gotta, I have to back you up. Okay. What I, I, I we're going to be jumping around today. Get every ladies and gentlemen, that's just going to be the way it is. It's so erratic. It's fine. We're gonna just, fine. No problem. It's going to be like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Fine. You're put it all together yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What got you to the point where you had to emancipate yourself from your family, from your parents? Well, so my parents got divorced and my mom moved away. And um, she is a super nice person and she's good now. But for like 30 years, she was uh, like living inside of a gallon of absolute vodka Yikes. every day so not a gallon to be very like realistic um what are the what is it a court a like the handle the big boy yeah liter a day no joke wow. it was fucking terrible so um like my dad's an asshole and like a sociopath and then 
I couldn't really decide whether or not as a kid, if my mom was like crazy too, or if my dad like drove her to being crazy or they like did it to each other, but they were both fucked up. So them splitting was like awesome. But then my mom still drank. And then it was like, um, she's like crying and lonely. And it's like, obviously you're an alcoholic and nobody likes you. And it's forced it's rough on everybody. So, um, she went and she came and like moved down here to be with her family. And that was cool. Cause then we like visited her, went to Florida and everything and rough, but like, oh, I should say I visited her. So like I have a sister, but my sister's like hard. I hate everybody on my side of the family, except like people that I'm not directly like related to like my cousins and my aunt and uncles. I got no beef with them. They're probably cool. I just don't trust them. So it's like, I don't talk to anybody. And, um, like to paint a picture, my sister stopped talking to my mom when they got divorced. And then when she would like get Christmas presents, she'd take the cash out of the envelope and then send the rest of it back. Like what a bitch. Damn. That's so, a fucking strong move right there. Right? God damn. It's so, not even just send the whole thing. It says, I'll take your money, but everything else goes. Yeah. You have a fucking present and the card. But the money, and, I'll like, take the money. I'm not going to think. Yeah. I'll take the money. No, thanks. So yeah. So I don't even remember what I was saying this now. <laughs> you, um, you, were, you were saying that you weren't getting along with your sister. But then you, yeah, well, your 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 mother had moved down to Florida, and then you were living. I think you're living with your dad. Oh, well, this is why I emancipated myself. Yeah. yeah. So like, I moved with my dad, and he's fucking psychotic. I got sent to a uh, bad kids camp, like you see on Jenny Jones, because <laughs> I was a free minded thinker who was trapped in a Catholic school that was like horrible. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a private school, and I got a really good education, and then. <clears throat> When I, I tried to get expelled from there because I hated it so much. What? Okay. I so hate to back to keep you backing you up. More than more. I hate to keep backing you up, but what did you do to get expelled? I hit a nun with a dildo. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. It was a little. No, you it didn't. Was a little itty bitty baby. Oh no, no. It was a little no. itty bitty baby. No, you one. didn't. No, you didn't. Did you throw it, it, it at was, her? Uh, well, so my sister's in college at this point. This is like sophomore year in high school. I was like. 15 um and she had gone to a bachelorette party and got like a bag full of like you know <laughs> whatever takeaway stuff <laughs> and in that bag was a box of pencil erasers yeah. that were shaped like penises oh, okay. so so i'm gonna call that a dildo okay fine and um i had it and then i had it at school and it was hilarious <laughs> of course it was and then yeah and I, I took my shoelace off and I jammed it into the pencil hole yeah. and then I had a dick on a string. <laughs> so I was kind of like dangling it, <clears throat> fishing on people's desks yeah. with it. Yeah. And then um, this, this particular nun, um, Sister Edward Marie. Her name was horrible. Sister, Edmund, Edward, Sister Marie. Edward Marie. Sister Edward Marie. She was like, like a walking skeleton that was just like cruel. Like, I don't know where they find these people. You know, it's like you're you're a woman of God, but you're, like, so, like, destroyed on the inside that you take your vengeance out on children. Oh, like, that, let that reality seep, where do they come like, up with sink these in. Is that, do they give her know. that name, yeah, or did her parents name her that? I don't know. No, I don't oh, we so. just called her Sister Ed. <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> sister, okay, Sister Edmund Marie is about to get it. So she's... 
Yeah, so she's like late to class. I don't know what she's doing, but we're all in there before um, she got there. And I had tied it to the ceiling fan. So it's like <laughs> whipping around and everybody's laughing and trying not to laugh. And she's, you know, up in the front of the room doing whatever the hell she was doing. And the the thing broke off and like whacked her right in the in the habit, like the white part. And she looks down and like is just mortified at this thing. And then the whole room's just like cracks out because everybody knew what, what happened you know and it was it was after the shock of what had happened and then the, the hilarity <laughs> so i just like got up and took like a really short little like not too dramatic just a little bow <laughs> and i walked my ass right down to the principal's office she didn't even say anything and you just got, bowed and then walked out yeah because like i was like what am i gonna do they knew like that was obviously me i'm not gonna <laughs> even like try to admit that it wasn't me and um yeah so i didn't care but um and she didn't say a word you just kind of bow you got up and you thanked everyone for this wonderful performance you bowed and you went off to the principal's office and sister edmund edward marie didn't say shit no i mean not as far as i remember it was kind of like the end of it at being hit by a tiny dildo from the fan Mm -hmm. must have been very jarring from yeah, must have been incredibly jarring and blasphemous, mm-hmm. right? So you get so 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 that did that get you the expul- expulsion that you were looking for? No. What? That's some progressive got, Catholics right there. They gave I you another chance. Out of this, well, I got kicked out of the class, okay. and then I had to um, I, I, like failed the class, okay. so I had to go to summer school. Uh. And I was like, all right. And then they're like, well, you're not going to go to summer school. You're going to go to like Bible camp for two weeks. Oh and I was like, all right. So all this weird shit started happening. Like I had to get my picture taken and um, I had to get clothes. I had to get a like set up and stuff. And then I was going to get on an airplane and nobody was coming with me. So I get on this airplane to go to Asheville and um, I go to Asheville, get off the airplane and there's a guy like like in movies on the awesome guy with my name on the sign waiting for me and i was like yo i'm adam how's it going i'm, I'm here and i'm like can't wait get going whatever being nice because i'm a nice person you know and um these people they like kind of like didn't know how to take it and then i get out in the like the parking lot and i get in their jeep and i'm like yo your jeep has metal cage on the inside of it what the fuck's going on here and they tell me that I am on my way to the bad kids camp. It's called Seuss, S-U-W-S. But did they the say that it was a bad kids camp? Uh, man, I don't really know what, the, I don't remember exactly. Okay. But it's like, yeah, they, they were like, you're going to this thing. You're going to get like, you're, you're here until you, we say otherwise, basically. Like I was, so like, was like in prison camp. Kind of like jail. Yeah. So they put you in a fucking uh, armored car on the inside. Because I of got the, like, the devil in me. <laughs> and my dad's an asshole. Because, like, at this point, I'm, like, a rebellious teenager, right, too. So he's like, like, kinda, good. like, I hated good. it. Go down yeah, there. Yeah, you, like, scare him. Yeah. So um, it was actually awesome. Except for the, like, brainwashing and stuff that I was totally immune to. Because as soon as I got there, I was like, oh, shit. I know where I am. 
like i'm gonna play the fucking game and get out of here because they were like you got to get through this course it's a six week course if you six weeks down and work work hard you can get out in four and i was like shit i'm out of here in two <laughs> so because i mean that's it was a, all that's stuff a, I that's a do. dildo like bravery stuff. right there that's a flying dildo courage right there think that you think he's gonna you're gonna be off the hook in two right so well i i like lived in the woods and they give you like a book you have to go through like a boy scout book and it's like learn to tie these knots like the past phase one you got to tie these knots phase two you got to start a fire with flint and then like you know bow drill all that like gets harder as you go to go down but like i already did all that stuff so i had a blast and by like week three rolls around i'm through the program and they had to like make stuff up for me to continue my booklet and then other kids started going home the bad kid went home and then this like very young girls was all like teenagers right and then um this girl was like 12 or younger i can't remember but she was a lot younger than the rest of us she got sent and like picked up she was only there for two weeks and she went home i was like the senior kid at the bad kid squad in my group like twice over kids were going home and i'm still fucking there and i would have like done everything was there a lot of religious was there a lot of religious teaching too no religious oh so just all punishment no not even punishment like Like, support from hippies huh yeah it was like it wasn't like it's not the like scream in your face style one like i said i had a blast i like ate rattlesnakes I used like bow drills to start fires in the rain. I got like really good at it. So So this wasn't had, a, like, like a, this wasn't like a bad kids camp at all. No, it was because they fucking took your shoes at night so you couldn't run away. And if you had to go take a shit and you were out of sight, you had to count. What do you count what? And then what do you have to count? Like count. Count like, just what? so they can hear you or sing oh, a song. Geez. So you're going to the bathroom and you have to count while you're going to the bathroom? Yeah. God, out loud. So and then, and then, like you, and then there's like group therapy and shit. And then, like, but like, see, this is all aimed towards these kids who are like a bunch of like overprivileged kids who don't know what they're like. They're just bad, you know. Like they're acting out or whatever. And it's like that they could just realize that they can like have confidence in themselves. Then they won't act out, and they'll learn how to be productive members of society. Yeah. It's like I wasn't a bad kid. Like I didn't need somebody to tell me like, see. You could, you've climbed this mountain. You can climb any mountain. So what it's do like, you yeah, think? No shit, asshole. One foot at a fucking time. I'm like, I'll get up there eventually. So you know, what it's do you? Like, it's, I, like that doesn't work on me. It sounds to me like, I mean, it, clearly it sounds to me like you had the situation where you weren't unhappy and then you were acting out. But the fact that these people were trying to explain to you why you shouldn't be acting out made things worse. Yeah. Well, they were. They would ask you like, like, why do you think you're here? what is it about like you that, you know, you want to change? And it, it was like, yo, I'm here. Cause I failed religion class. This other kid's here because he broke into his neighbor's house and like stole their stuff out of their garage while they were sleeping. You know, not very good. like the two things are not comparable. Yeah. So, um, I never really knew what to say. Right. So like I said, I just played the game. I just make stuff up <laughs> and, um, I got through it, but yeah, after like the sixth, sixth or seventh week, I forget how long it, I was. I was there for like I said, like way longer than I needed to be. And then my dad like 
shows up. I, I hiked from North Carolina to like Maryland on the Appalachian Trail. It was like a dream vacation wow. under different circumstances. So then he came down and picked so, you up? Yeah. And then... And then and then I didn't talk to him for like a year. And then um, there's like huge stories to go along with all that. But I like basically wasn't really living at home anymore. I was getting into tons of trouble. I couldn't drive anywhere. And then I had a car for a little bit, but it was his car. So he could like... It was all about like everything in my house was like, I'm going to give you something just to have the strings attached right. and it's like leverage, you know? So, um, I didn't have access to transportation and stuff. Like if I wanted to ride somewhere, I had to do something for it. And, um, that kind of like put me in a weird spot as a teenager. But at the same time, like I had a, had an awful like upbringing, but I, I didn't get like beat up right. as a kid, right. you know, right. nobody molested me, no, blah, 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 none of that. But like, emotional, duress sure but see like that's i guess i'm trying to describe it now because it's like i was told not to complain about anything my whole life and if i have if i ever have like a problem that's not my personal like responsibility it's i'm like being a crybaby about it you know like being a victim so i got a really hard time trying to like draw the line on like you know i grew up in a three million dollar house but i hated it right kind of situation you know so i think that there's two we 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 i think that society makes these false equivalencies that like just because you're miserable somebody else's misery is more important than your own and i don't necessarily think i i think that that's unfortunate i i can understand why you know sometimes i've getting i've gotten messages from people saying oh you just complain about things you know i wish i had the situation of course of course i can't we can't, you can only talk about your your story and the way you feel, and that's just the way it is. One of the things that I'm getting from you is it's fascinating, and I'm getting this from a lot of people I've been talking to, is based on your experience with um, your family and your upbringing and, and the, the, your work now, your knives are so – you have so much control over everything that you're doing. That I can see why you, it's almost like you're taking away before you had no control as a kid. And, you know, by the way, whether it was uh, Sister Edwin Marie or your dad or your mom or you, 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 your work is so controlled by you that it's it is fascinating. And I'm, I'm convinced with all the people I talk to, it's all the same. It, it's it's how they're. The decisions that they've made based on the things that have happened to them and have shaped their behavior and their behavior shapes the decisions that they make in the future. And then they're able to kind of create based on those that behavior. Did I lose you? Yeah. Did I lose you on that? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, I think, uh, I think it, like, sure, I, I'm definitely, like, critical. And I think about that kind of stuff a lot. Like, um. I'm not so much the type of person that's like, I need the approval of like, look at me. I make this, I made this thing. Like, tell me how nice it is and give me a thousand likes on Instagram. It's more or less like, I, I like the challenge, right. man. I, um, I don't like easy stuff. I don't, I specifically don't want to do something if it's easy or it's boring. And, um, that's like been my biggest downfall for me as like a business because when I get really good at something, I've mastered it and I don't want to do it anymore. And I move on to something else. And then I'm kind of like mediocre at that thing until I get good at it. And then I move on to something else. 
So I've been trying to roll that back a lot and um, get to a point where I'm doing the thing to a point where it doesn't need any more. Uh, I don't want to say until it's like perfect, but like there's always something that I want to change on, right? Like you're, you're your own worst critic, right. at least you should be. Right. So um, I want, I'm, I'm at a point now with my work where I look at it and it's like, yeah, that's good. I don't feel like there's anything here that I'm ashamed of. Like I, I've put a lot of, I don't want to say like bad work out, but you know, just as a beginner starting off and like not knowing what to do and like learning from uh, just YouTube and not having any kind of formal education on metalwork and anything. It's like, I made some shitty knives here and there. And, um, I was so pumped when we made that folder, there, our first folder we made, it was such a monumental achievement. And then I went to blade show with it and I realized it sucked. And that was what changed. Like there was a stark, it might've been the year that we um, <clears throat> briefly met for about 30 seconds in person. And, um, no, we were more than 30 seconds. We were hanging out in the, in the evening. We had drinks with Charlie Lionheart and, and Jeremy Spake. I remember that. It was longer than 30 okay. seconds. We were there for, we were hanging out at the pit. Right. Okay. Well then there was another time. I don't know. I remember like one time I, you were there and you're like, Oh, I'm on my way out. And you like got on a plane and left like right away. So uh, maybe that was year after that. Whatever. It's all blurs. But but it's interesting, you know, because a lot of knife makers say this. A lot of knife makers say, I, you know, no, I'm not saying you put out shit. I, I have older knives that I'm not ashamed of, but I think that it gets to the point where you can't, when you're growing as, an, as, as a maker, you're going to have evolutions that it will just, it, it's just, it's just the evolutions of your growth. And you, you, you can't, I don't necessarily think you can look back on older work and say, cause I know Craig Lockwood says this all the time. He's just like, I wish I could just have like a, an update, like an updated computer and all those old things just get updated. I think you have to look at these objects as things from, a, you know, everything's a milestone and they're, they're parts of your life and parts of your history. That's just the way it is. I didn't like the person that I was 10 years ago. And, you know, that's just the way it is. And I have to accept that and move on. I make knives now that I like better than the knives I made three weeks ago. And that's just little tiny things. It's just, it's just the way it is. You know, and I hate, I, I, I get bummed out when I hear knife makers almost feel embarrassed or like shamed, shameful of the work they've done in the past because they feel like, Based on what I'm doing now, am I ripping off my former customers? And I don't think that's really fair. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Uh, I, I really think it it kind of depends on what you make too, and how much you're standing behind it. Right. Like, say we all grow. That's absolutely true. Um, I would argue the the person who doesn't grow, like, let's say, don't say names. Where I'm not saying any names. I mean, I'm not saying any I'm, just, names. I'm just saying like generic maker. Um, there's three of them, right? They're all growing at the same pace for the first couple years. You know, mistakes are made. Things kind of ugly. Finish isn't so good. Everybody's learning. But like, you're all pumped about that one style that's like kind of uh, hip for the moment. Yeah. Let's call it, you know, a rough finish. And um, 
everybody else is doing that. But then those two other people like progress and learn how to do a nicer type of finish right. or different types of finish and expand. And then that other one maker just kind of had a lot of success with that and just stays with it and keeps going and going. And you know, they make the same thing that they were making five years ago. And it's like what you said, you, every new thing that you make should be the best thing that you've made so far. Right. Like, you know, backtrack a little bit, you made a mistake or whatever, but if you're not constantly improving upon that, then like, what are you doing? Or you're trying just, like, to, or the intention is you want to address things that you think would be better. And if you're trying to yeah. consistently address them, I think that's, that's where I think that, that separation between the craftsman and like the artisan that we were talking about earlier, where it's like, if you're, you're a craftsman and you make, oh, it's a great one. Like you make planar blades, right? Or like a hand plane. Right. It's awesome. It's solid. It's great. But no, oh, and it's, and it's affordable too. That's the best part. But you can get one of those really fancy handmade planers from somebody with like a brass inlay in it and burl wood and stuff. It's gorgeous. It's going to be three, four times as much. It's going to be probably a little nicer too. But at the same time, like it, it's something you want to enjoy using as a tool. It's something that you use so much that you want to have that nice one of. And that's where that different gap falls in. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I struggle with, I struggle with, um, besides talking with other knife makers, um, and my intentions when I talk with other knife makers, I struggle with the intentions with the other knife maker versus my intentions with my customers, you know? And I, and I, and I wonder, I wonder if, uh, even talking to other knife makers is good for my mental health. I wonder. I wonder because, you know, like the things that we all talk about, and I'm not, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. I'm not saying that like that's the case. I mean, I talk to a lot of guys, a lot of friends of mine, and we talk about things, but there's this kind of a group, there's a set of group um, d uh, directions that we're supposed to be doing together. And there's this like, it's, a, it's almost like um, this sense of rules that we're all agreeing to. Our industry standards. Industry standards. And there's almost like a sense of entitlement. There's also a sense of, you know, he's reverse of entitlement. And I, and I wonder, because ultimately my customers are different than a lot of people's customers. My customers are usually first-time knife buyers, custom knife buyers. So I try to talk as plainly as possible. They don't know the difference between stainless steel and carbon steel. They don't know the difference between, you know, anything, uh, anything. So I like that. I like that fact. I like that fact. So I can't, I try not to use, you know, industry words around them because I feel like I don't want them to feel anything other than I want to give them what they want, you know? And I just, it, there's mm -hmm. a total duality between talking to your customer and talking to people in your community. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure I enjoy talking to people in my community as much. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know where I'm going with that. So, I don't know where I'm going with yeah, that. Yeah, I, 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 I get kind of a, a sense. Like, um, everybody's got an opinion and they all stink. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, it's kind of, it, it's rough. Like, that's something that I struggle with a lot is, like, what is the standard? Because this person says this or this person believes that. And then you have to kind of gauge on 
how much do I respect those two people and which, which direction would I like my reputation right. to go into? Right. You know? So that's like, that's a big one. And especially because uh, like just with the knife making industry, you got the two big factions of, you know, the knife makers guild and the American bladesmith society, right. which direction do you go? Is it, is it inappropriate to charge as much for a stock removal knife as it is for a forged knife. Mm. You know, th those are all sorts of like sticky pickle aspects that um, I think are worth considering. And it, it, it is something important that um, you need to listen to in the community, but at the same time, it can hurt you because you'll get pigeonholed or stuck or living up to unrealistic expectations. Right. It's like the Photoshop syndrome. What's that? Tell me the Photoshop syndrome. Oh, well, I mean, like for supermodels or something, oh, okay. Okay. if you're, you know, you look at that person, you're like, why can't I be that pretty? It's like, well, because you don't have a liquify filter and like spot removal all over your face and a, like airbrushed and stuff. So that was like a big driving factor for me, though, as a maker is like, I'd look at other people's work. And then I'd look at my work and I'm like, man, why did my finish look like that? Right. And I think a lot of it, like I've met some people now and I like talk to everybody. It's like, I do the same kind of thing. Like I don't put the video up if it shows the scratch pattern looking bad. I move to another part in the shop where my lights look good. And that's the, the angle that I show because it looks good. No one wants to see that crap. If it looks bad, grind look, if it's great, it can still look bad if the reflection's not being caught right. Yeah, so sure. having that level of like expectation put out for your work is really awesome for certain people like me where it's like i might have like a lot of anxiety about the level of my work but that's what makes it good is because i want to work on it and like i want to improve upon it and like having that like far away goal that even if you're never as good as that goal, you're still getting better and better and better. It's like, if it's an impossible goal to reach, then you will just like exponentially grow towards it. That's the you most know, important if you thing. Hate... I mean, I, I think that people get too worried about the destination. They don't worry so much about the journey. And with that said, I just want to backtrack a little bit. So how did so you never really had a metalworking background? How did you, how did you get into metalworking and, and what made, when did you make your first knife? Well, yeah, we kind of like skipped over we're all the cheese stuff. So whatever, like, it take, whatever it takes to make you, yeah, you know, we're gonna figure it out. I, I was at the at the cheese shop and I hated it. After a while, like it was an awesome job, and then I was just like working in a deli basically after a while, and I quit that after I tried to like do what everybody's told me my whole life, which is work really hard and like buckle down and. You know, people will take notice and you'll move up as long as you like work hard and do the right thing. So when I did that, I ended up going to Giant, which is like a regular grocery yep, store. Sure. And I was supposed to be a ambassador for this new thing that they had where I was going to train their employees how to handle the product, which kind of sounds stupid because it's cheese. But like, man, the shit's alive. It's like you're like a it's like working at a pet store. You know, you got to keep all these things at the right temperature and hydration right. and air and all this stuff. So you had to go to the grocery store and teach these people how to handle these products that we're sending them. And it's like a $5,000 wheel of cheese. So, um, I got there 
And I was like, all right, folks, let's go over the basics. And they're like, no, you're going to stand here and hand out samples to people. So I was like, I went from being somebody who has like an education to the guy who hands out like the chili sample cup at the grocery store on Sunday. And I quit. So um, I had the workshop kind of going by then. I was doing these private parties at the shop that closed the cheese shop down. And I was one of the like more experienced people there. And I got really good at doing the parties and you just kind of schmooze these people. You'd have eight people come in and then you feed them a bunch of stuff and, you know, put on like a Benny Hanna show a little bit and uh, teach them stuff. And then they bring wine and you pair it to stuff. So I'm like fine cheese and charcuterie master where I can blind taste test at like a thousand different kinds of cheese and tell you exactly what type of milk it is, how old it is, what country it's from, and like the type, the bacteria in it, any of that. And I can pair your wine and I know where it's from and all that other kind of stuff. And I'm making nine bucks an hour. So um, doing the, the private tasting things, I was making these cutting boards just because like I wanted something to do. I had like an old guitar like on my day off, I wanted to work on it. And I live in Philadelphia. There's nowhere you can use power tools in Philadelphia, except for like the sidewalk in front of your house, which is not the, you know, most relaxing work environment. <clears throat> so, um, due to own the cheese shop is awesome guy. And, uh, they owned a bunch of buildings up and down the block. And there was already someone who was working in one of the buildings as like a painting studio on the top floor, had great light. And the bottom of the building was just kind of like trash storage, but the basement was open because it was um, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom level of cobwebs that no one had been brave enough to go through and clean out. So I got through that and set up like a little bit of a workshop or whatever, just basic shit. And um, I was making serving boards for these after hours parties because they were just like putting stuff on broken plates and like whatever the bullshit sample cheese boards that we'd gotten and they're old. So I made some nice stuff because people were paying like decent dollars to go there. And then people like started to ask if they could buy the thing. And I was like, sure, I'll make another one. And then I was like getting 200 bucks for a cutting board Hmm. per party when I was selling it. And I was like, well, shit, it's like half my paycheck. So, um, started just kind of looking into things and learning and like i've always been really good with my hands and like fix stuff i already like i was an awful home repair person at that point so i was very ready you know and excited to use all of these tools incorrectly (laughs) so um yeah that was like that was how it started i just like i just wanted to like do dude stuff build some two by fours and like you know home improvement whatever whatever and this was like all right before that boom and like social media i remember i had instagram but i didn't like i deleted it because i didn't even know how to use it and um out of nowhere the one day we were working on the line we had like we break down four wheels of cheese at this place so i had um like a 12 and a 14 inch chef's knife that you would use and you'd put your left palm on the nose and then the handle and you kind of like rock it right. back and forth sure. no one used those goofy cheese knives they're worthless you mean the, there's nothing better you're talking about those yeah, like a, those those uh, parmesan wheel chisels I'm not talking about that no 
Okay. Those are important tools. Yeah, okay. and there's, you can split a wheel of Parmesan with chef's knives if you're awesome. But um, those, are, those spades and wedges are like, that's like a whole thing. Yeah. Because it, it tastes better if you break it open than if you cut it open. Huh. And there is nothing in the world better than a wheel of Parmesan like five seconds after it's been broken open. It tastes like pineapple. So crazy. I watched some of those like, videos because I, I was we were asked to make some of those spades and uh, wheel cheese uh, knives and stuff like that. So we, we, we thought about it. So I got to watch a lot of videos, and it was pretty interesting. I almost felt like they were felling a tree. <laughs> it was seemed more like that yeah. than it was, uh, you know, the scoring and how you, you know, the, 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 one of the things is with those cheeses is, you see those giant wheels of Parmesan, they're like lines, and they're, those lines are like all the dotted lines. They, co they like help you when you're opening the whole thing up. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. The Parmesan is awesome. It's, um, I'm trying to think of what the Italian version of, of it is. I think it's AOC, but it's like champagne. Right. You know, you can't call, um, parmesan anything unless it meets those standards and they actually use it as a gold currency standard huh. in italy because it takes so much time and milk to make one uh, a wheel like an average wheel is about 80 pounds and um the amount of milk that goes into that and the time it takes like you can have those guaranteed to sell so they use it as like an investment standard and then when that um, earthquake hit in Italy a couple years ago, yeah. it was like a real big one, um, the shelves that they sit those Parmesan wheels on had been there for like 500 years or whatever. A, a whole rack of them broke, and the cheese like touched the ground, totally fine because this cheese has already got the rind on it, been sitting on the shelf for like a, a year or whatever already. They had to scrape all of the Reggiano stick or brands off of it. And now it's called Grana Padana or it's the stuff that you buy in the grocery store. That's called Parmesan with an S. Oh. Isn't that crazy? Just like the tiniest flaw in a wheel of um, Parmigiano Reggiano is deleted. They scrape the brand off of it and it's called Grana Padana. So if you ever want to save a couple bucks, and you got access to good cheese, Grana Padano is the same damn thing. I fucking never Just, knew that. I always thought it was something different. Grana Padano hit the ground. Every thing about cheese you could ever imagine. Fuck yep. Well, no, it didn't hit the ground. Like, maybe it didn't, like, age as properly. Oh. Or it's, like, you know, just something. I cannot a wait. spot of mold on it. I cannot wait until I go to I go to a friend's house or when we start to go back to a friend's house and they talk about, oh, this Grana Padano. I'm going to, don't fucking, this motherfucker either hit the floor or somebody kicked it, it or reject. something. It's a reject. Don't start with me. Yeah. Don't 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 try to pull. That's a banana in the tailpipe situation. People, I thought that it was just a different variation. So you're back on the line. You're opening up the cheese with the 14 inch chef's yeah, knife. Yeah. So these giant giant chef's knives, and like I have so many scars where your hand slips off the tip of the knife yeah. and just like slices the shit out of you. And then you have to be like, oh, I didn't just get blood everywhere on this food surface. I'm gonna walk around like out back. Jimmy, can you check this lady out for me? And like they you know, finish it up. So um, not in like a gross health standard. I was always really clean about like, get, but you know, you don't want your customer to know you cut your hand open. Right, right? Of course. So, so you got to like be cool about it, but it happened a lot. So I was online the one day and I'm like, 
I wonder if I could just make a chef's knife and dull the, the tip of it. And um, I like asked my boss if I could use that. I forget how this happened, but he was like, nobody makes their own knives. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'm going to try it and see if it works. So I went and got like, you know, some mild steel or whatever. And I just like ground out a basic chef's knife shape. And I was so pumped. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was kind of like just a chain of events from there. But like, I've always wanted to make stuff for myself or something that I can't get. And it's kind of cha- stuff's changing now. Like you can get almost anything right. now. Even like just five years ago, it was kind of hard to find a specialty item. And then if you did find it, it was probably out of your price range. But um, I just like, I had known a little bit about chef's knives. My boss had got me a shun knife before. And that was like the coolest thing I had ever experienced, right? It was having like a nice knife. And uh, I, I now use that to like open boxes with. It's hilarious. It's all chipped up, slammed in the wall over here. It's the grand but, um, in your shop now. Mm-hmm. but um yeah i just got like i got interested in knives as like a tool and then i went online and i saw all the pictures by um jim coop and um caleb royer like all those yeah. really like amazing pro photos so i started like looking into it and i'm like holy shit thousand bucks for a knife gonna see what this is all about you know because i'm like killing it making cutting boards, knives, cutting boards sound real good together. And um, I ordered up some stock from the Baron. I think that was my first round. And I cut them out on like, you know, hacksaw by hand. And uh, couldn't heat treat them. I knew that. And somewhere in between here, I had met Charles Lionheart on the internet. And uh, he was cool enough that he he treated my first couple bound or batches of blades that I got. And I still have my first knife that I've ever made. It's a 10 inch chef's knife and it's razor thin. And, um, I don't use it because I don't want it to get like, you know, all messed up, but it's, it's 52 100. And Charlie did like an awesome job on those first couple knives that he's done. I've had a few of them come back in for like maintenance or I think one of the, hardwood split off of it on like the handles and I've had to redo it. And I'm just like impressed with how good the edges are. And like, it's like five years old and I didn't know what I was doing. No, they're older than that. They're almost like eight, nine years old now. Right. Something like that. I don't know. Anyways, they're older, but, um, and they're used. So I'm just like, I'm so impressed with that stuff because I like, what a rare opportunity for me as a maker to get something that I've, like I, one of the very first things I've made to come back and I get to see it. Right. So like even these days, man, like I I send knives out. I never hear from those people and I'll be like, yo, you like your knife? Is everything cool? And they're like, oh yeah, it's great. I love it. It's like, okay, awesome. You know, if I don't hear anything, I guess no news is good news. That's um, the way it is. I think that's the way it is. I'm happy. I'm perfectly happy with it. Yeah, I mean, I got people, I got customers that we talk back and forth, you know, we're good. Yeah. I got customers might buy something once, never see them again. That's fine, too. But, um, yeah, I just, like, I never get to actually see them as much. 
and uh, it, it is nice. I, it, I think I'm at a point now where my first couple are all starting to trickle back, and I got one in here right now. Actually, same thing happened. It's like one of the really old ones in the hardwood, starting to split off of it. So, so that was really cool. Live and you, learn. You get some really cool. Charlie is such a good dude. Charlie Lionheart is such a good dude, and um, I, it's amazing to me that he that there are so many knife makers out there who are as generous with their time and energy as they are. Charlie is just a champ. Charlie is a total champ. So when did you kind of like make the investment to kind of get your own stuff and kind of go make, you know, do your own heat treating and, you know. I used Pete's for a while back in the day because, I mean, it made sense and it was cheap too. Oh, it was like a dollar a blade. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I quit to Bruno's like I was doing the wood stuff and the private tastings for maybe like six months I, I don't know whatever like I was doing the tastings for a while longer but then when I started to do that other stuff the whole like company kind of took a change in direction like they were starting to get in the grocery stores and be less of a small business and they were just kind of like not the best management either yeah. so I got out of there and um, I was like I'm just gonna do it like I called my mom and I was like, Hey, I never asked for anything, but I'm going to quit my job and try this thing. So if I totally fucking fail, I might need you to help me pay my rent at some point in, in the near future. And she's like, okay, you know, and then, so and I didn't fail and that was awesome. But like, I quit my job with 600 bucks in my bank account and I had some tools and I got the, I had to leave the free workshop that I had. And I went into a larger building that was like one of my friend's friends. I never even met this guy. And I didn't know what to say, but my buddy's like, yeah, just go talk to him, you know, tell him what you're all about and he'll hook you up. So I like walk into this guy's workshop and he's got this giant like wood CNC and all these like dope powermatic tools like, decked out huge warehouse workshop in the city. It was so awesome. And, um, I was like, hey, Kirk, I'm Zeke's friend. I don't know if he told you I was coming by or not, but it's like, I heard you got a shop space for rent. And he was like, oh, no, but uh, Zeke's a good guy. And, like, cleared a corner out for me and then was like, what do you want to pay me for rent? So I got, like, hooked up so hard because there's no way you're going to find any form of, like, industrial space in an urban environment like that. Yeah. Um, I looked, this stuff was starting to blow up at that point. So there's a lot, like any building that you could have done it in was either like already converted into like luxury lofts or th if they bought an industrial zone and we're going to use it for that, they're breaking it up and charging outrageous fees. Outrageous, I say, like... You get a 200 square foot closet and it's going to be like 800 bucks a month. And then it's public. You don't even get to like, you know, have your own private space. You can't keep your tools there. So they also had a uh, next fab, which was a really cool spot where um, it was like a collaborative where they had all the big tools, like water jet, laser printers, all the like everything. And you could rent, um a membership to go in there but it was kind of the same same deal like you didn't have private space so i was like 
million dollar building to be by myself or I'm going to hang out in Kirk shop and live in the corner here for a while. Right. And Kirk shop was awesome. So I got like, I owe a lot to him. Like I wouldn't have been able to have done it if he wasn't so nice. And dude, let me like use him, like use his tools. And he had tons of scrap laying around. It's just like, yeah, all those boards, those aren't worth my while. Like they don't fit on the CNC machine. They're just scraps. You can cut them up. So I made like tons of cutting boards and just lots of woodworking projects while I was in there and uh, made enough money to just piece by piece, you know, just like, a, like anything else got, um, got a wheel mount uh, tag one Oh one grinder first. It's like my favorite thing I've ever bought still for the workshop. And then I got an old even heat. I'm trying to think of whatever the size is. It's like the medium one. It's like 20 inches deep, I think. And I've had to replace the thermocoupler on it once. So, I mean, thousands of blades have gone through that thing in eight years or whatever, and I've got $20 worth of repairs on it. So, uh, but yeah, just um, kind of moved on up the food chain and have been trying to get more like independent at that point. And uh, I got two... Like I was, I was like killing it by then because I got picked up on Instagram, like the main account, they reposted one of my pictures as like a featured Instagram account. So overnight I went from like a couple hundred people to like 25,000 followers. Jesus. Yeah. And it was good, bad because I probably wouldn't have been able to like go full time, like immediately into it, had that not have happened. Hmm. But um, there's a board game term we use called early devil. And I had been tagged early devil as far like in my eyes here. What's that? Because that's where you're doing real good off the start monopoly. So everybody starts fucking you over. So you don't win, you know, and like, <laughs> uh, take the game down. You don't, they don't think so you deserve it. it. They don't think you deserve to be in the position you're in is what you're saying. Uh, well, I mean, not necessarily like in what I'm talking about. I'm just talking like early devil as a board game term. Oh, okay. Like you're doing too good on um, like right off the bat. So you're like a target right now. Right. You don't need any help. So I kind of got that though, where, um, like, uh, I went and when I met, uh, Gavco, Mike Gavco, he lives like a couple hours from me down he's here. Gavco. But he's a cool dude. Uh, he's a folding knife okay. maker. He is like, he's got the best business model ever. He makes a really nice design. It's a super fast build and he's got killer demand. So he'll just like have a four hour build. And then at the end of the day, do an auction and might sell for 2,500 bucks. Huh. Guy's like fucking killing it. So I asked him a bunch of questions. He's got a bunch of YouTube videos and um, he was like, you are more famous than I am. I don't need, it's like, it's like, why are you asking me questions? And it's like, dude, I don't know anything. Like, I, don't let my, my numbers fool you. You know, I, yeah. I, I also need advice and like all this other stuff. So I don't mean to make him sound like a jerk. For no, but I mean, that. there's obviously like, some resentment. Yeah. No, not, not even from him. Me. I mean, from I him, know, maybe, but like, but I mean, I would think that some people would be resentful of that. Just because, like well, you no, said, I'm, early I'm devil like this is the same thing. Yeah, but like I, I'm saying, like I'm, I'm getting, like I have all these people, so people assume that I'm like right. better than right. I am, and I don't need that, like the it's advice tough. or the help, or I know what I'm doing. Yeah, and it's like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like I just started doing this two months ago, right. so, um, 
but yeah, having that was awesome because I, it was just like a steady influx of people asking me what to do or like not what to do, like how do I get stuff? And then I got to be able to tell people that was like, I can't do that for you. And saying no is like the best thing in the world because it drives them fucking crazy, especially people who are trying to drop big dollars on stuff. If they can't have it, they just want it more. But I always think that if you say no too much, people stop asking. That's true. I've, um, I kind of got like sucked down a little bit when we moved to Florida. Like the move was hard. We, we, uh, literally drove in, I drove like the U-Haul in, um, during Irma's approach and it was like independence day and like all the cars on one side of the highway are like backed up and leaving. And I'm the only asshole driving South. So like when we got here, that hurricane slammed into us the second everything got set up and then the shop got wet and like it was, everything was a big setback. So I kind of got like dragged down a little bit when we first moved and I lost, like I started losing people for the first time on my Instagram. It's like, I don't really care so much about like popularity wise or numbers or whatever, but I think that what's going on when they change the way that it works, because I am an, technically an influencer account by numbers. Like if you have over 10,000 followers, you can use the, like the special links and stuff in the stories and whatever. And when you hit certain numbers, you get put into certain filters. So like I'm, this is all me speculating, but um, I'm, I feel like my following is big enough by numbers that they want me to pay for the ads, but I make weapons. So they won't let me pay for the stuff. And then I feel like I get penalized for it somehow. And then there's other accounts that do absolutely nothing, like no promotion, no hashtags, and their shit just, like, explodes. And I don't really get, like, what's going on there other than, like, the constant posting. But that's where I was going with this is, like, I kind of, like, fell behind for a little bit. And then I wanted to take a break because I was also getting burned out posting, like, I sanded this, I cut this out. You know, it's like the same pictures over and over again, and I was making folders. So, like, it's literally just operations after operations, and it's I, I ran out of, like, content after a minute. So I got bored, and I stopped taking, like, posting every day, and I feel like because of that, now my engagement sucks. So I went from having, like, 5,000 views on a video to, like, I got a couple hundred now. And I am totally cool with that because I, I think that my, like... That was it was too over bloated before. Yeah. Like I, I think most of my people on there are ghosts or dead accounts or whatever. And then my like couple hundred or thousand people that are always there, like those are my customers and my fans and stuff. And like that's all that's really important. I don't care about numbers. So here's the question for the, So so you started in when when you when you started to do the folder folding knives, how did you learn like the machining and the trick was it talking to this guy gamco i mean what got you to because the level of your flippers and your your folding knives are are like i said originally the designs are so beautiful and crisp and machined and just like there's i don't think that there's another knife maker i can't think of one who's as talented you are technically in terms of the machining and the finish plus the contrasting with these very you know colorful uh, very warm colors, lots of contrasting colors. How did you get into 
you know, making flippers and folding knives kind of your thing? Um, so fixed blades are kind of hard to sell. You think so? It depends. Um, chef's knives are great. Everybody needs a chef's right. knife. I don't really want to make chef's knives. I, I don't mind it. There's plenty of other people. I think that's your market there. Like what you're saying is like, it's for first time people. Right. And, um, it's, it's got its price point. You can go over that price point, but you better have something to offer. Like to go back to, uh, Charles Lionheart's doing awesome chef's knives right now. They're all integral and forged and like, I'm like, that's, that's worth more than my chef's knife. Right. It's amazing. But I make a very good chef's knife. I feel like it's designed well. It is visually appealing. It works great. You know, it, the edge is correct. The geometry is functional. Everything about it. Whereas there's another knife maker who makes a chef's knife, charges the same amount that I do, and the knife's just not quite as good. You know, just experience and design and, you know, whatever. I'm not, like, harping on anybody. It's cool. But it's, that's the price point for the tool. And it's up to the consumer to say, like, who am I going to get it from, right? So um, it's a little hard to sell fixed blades, like big fixed blades. Yeah. You got to have the name and the customers, and um, it's its whole own ballgame. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but if you look at the knife on paper, a chef's knife is eight and a half inch blade. It's probably about like 13, 14 inches overall length. And then if you're going to write down what you did to it, it's got a flat grind, hand sanded finish. And then there's a multi-segmented handle that had to be assembled and then cut out and sculpted and put all that together. That could be a Bowie knife. Right. That could be a chest knife. And then one of those is $1,500 and one of those is $500. So it's... Yeah, the, there's a lot more $500 customers than there are $1,500 customers. So getting your, like, your market geared towards that has been, like, it's been a struggle for me because I, I never did shows. I can never get my shit together enough to do shows. I don't know how people, like, have inventory yeah. to take because, like, I'm at max capacity. I work every single day, and I, like, sell my stuff. And then if I have something for up for grabs or available, I take pictures of it and it's on Instagram. And then like the, when I'm done with it, like I got one knife for sale on my website right now. And it's like weird, you know? So I've never been able to go to a show and like collect the work. So I've never had that like big breakthrough on that stuff. And that's like, I love doing um, the bigger knives. Like that's really, that's fun. Right. Yeah. But the market's not there because it's not useful. Like no one's using that to like kill people. It's a fighting knife. It's a, it's used to like as a weapon of murder for humans. You know, I've always kind of using it for that. I always kind of call those fetish knives because, like you said, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like I mean, I do a couple like bushcrafty style knives and stuff like that, but they're all like our little hunting knives. But those big ones, they just seem like they're just fetish knives. And when I say fetish, I'm not talking about sexual fetish. I just think of like these are just like things to have and like pretend. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just like, um, I don't know. It's all stuff that we liked as boys, right? You know, I, I yeah. thought swords were cool. Yeah. Like, I'm not really into guns. I, I like, I, I don't think that you need a gun in a, in a movie theater. You know, if you feel like you need a gun in a movie theater, you should see less scary movies, fucking pussy. <laughs> so, um, so the f- I folding knives. Cool. How did you? Yeah. So the folding knives are. Do you think that the folding knives are where you're? That's your bread and butter right now. I haven't been making folders because um, we have to get them water jet cut. the The properties on it are really tight. Like tolerances are really tight. And titanium is a weird material to work with. It's awesome. It's really great. But there's just certain parts of it that aren't worth my time. Like um, the lock bar, the actual mechanism on the frame that slides into contact with the blade tang and that you would use your thumb to open up and close the knife again. That part requires a very um, complicated operation to cut because titanium has a lot of issues with work hardening. And I like, I have a mill, I got a slitting saw. I know people do it on the table saw with the rotary disc and just get through it. I don't really like doing that. So um, I do it on the mill with the slitting saw. I run coolant, I use the proper speed, but I'm running it manually. So, you know, you can only do your best and like that, small of a cutter with that it's a, like a 200 tooth cutter on a four inch wheel slitting saw wheels i'm sorry is like a uh it's like a table saw wheel that goes in the milling machine like a, in a drill press right. arbor and then you move the work across it and you can either cut a slot okay or cut something off with it so you use that to plunge in and cut a relief for the lock bar and then you would turn the knife at a 90 degree angle and cut another one so you've got a 90 degree cut and you got a little dangly piece that can spring in and out. It is so much work to cut that out. And it's like a really slow operation because it'll just trash your cutter if you don't do it right. And um, the teeth are so small, when you go to move it, it's like impossible to do it by hand. So it's just like a water jet um, thing that we have done. And I've been with three different services now. Like, man, you can't really trust them. I have not had good luck. I know like lots of other people have good luck. I just like, I don't know. I got, I got bum water jet people, I guess. So I, I've been putting that off because you have to get so many of them at a time. And it sucks when you go to like, I've never done this. I'm going to prototype it. And then if I order it, I've got 50 of them and they all have the same problem. Or if you aren't used to working with that water jet guy, and you give him your file, you don't know what his tolerances are going to be. So what do you size your holes at? You know, it's like, it's a big deal. Cause when we got the, our first round of the, the VPK, the very pointy knife, which was like the sack style uh, flipper that I just made that, um, that design was great. We spent like months tweaking that in 2d, like on the computer. And then when we, um, sent it out it was great we were really used to using the one guy at the place that we were using and then they got overwhelmed i think a machine broke or they were moving or something they outsourced my job to another company Ugh. and that guy overcut 
all my holes. And they were like Damascus blades. Overcuts worse than an undercut. Yeah, for real. And then he like took my Damascus piece and like nested the parts so they were out of orientation. Oh, so every single knife was... Uh, every single thing was wrong. God damn it. And it was like a hundred so of them. So what did you do? I, like, had to... I could fix it. Like, I had to change my stop pin size. So that meant I had to change all of the geometry in the pivot. I had to change the, like, how big the hole was that the pin slides through because it, it, like, the knife spins around this one particular part. It's like the the... You change that one thing, everything changes on the whole knife, right? And then I had to deal with like slop correction and I like I fixed everything, but it was just like it negated all of the benefits of having your parts water jet because then you just got to ring your holes out and you're done. It's easy. Adam, I know what your problem is. You can't depend on other people. I know. This is your life it's, story, it Adam. This is your I life know. story. You, you the, the, the times that you find happiness, the times that you found success is when you've taken these things on yourself. Telling you, this is the one thing, this is the one thing, this is the one thing I hate about being in business for yourself. And I'm very similar in the sense of like, I like to do everything. We've, I actually get my, my, a lot of my knives, uh, water jet from Pete uh, over New Jersey Steel Baron, and he does a great job. And I don't do titanium, but he, my whole, you know, he, I sometimes have to hit the holes with the drill. No, not a problem. But I do, I do like the fact that I can get on, I have a relationship with Pete and I can get things done with Pete. That's one thing. But uh, that's about it. I've got sheath guys who've let me down. I've had, uh, I've had a pile of different people who've let me down. Actually, you didn't let me down a couple years ago when I did a pile of knives where I use your company. Uh, very good uh, material. Was it called? Very good material. Very good knife making. Very supplies. good knife making supplies. I got some beautiful. I got a number of sheets of beautiful uh, turquoise paper micarta from you, and it came out great. And it was. A, I used it as a liner. It was awesome. And um, but it just, but other than that, I despise counting on other people. Yeah, it's hard, especially when. People have let you down, and I get the feeling that, especially in your life, people have let you down. I got ridiculously high standards. You do. That is that is amazing because you, at a young age, you kind of those standards, the disappointment, the disappointment in others has made you kind of hot, push yourself to a higher dis- standard, and also to look at other people at a higher standard and judge them at a higher standard. That's a fucking tough burden. That's a tough burden on other people, but it's also a tough burden on you. You know? Yeah, Jeff, you and my therapist should hook up. I don't need it. Let's get her on here. How do, we, how do I add her? You go, do you go to a therapist? Hell yeah. Do you, do you, do you enjoy it? I mean, not enjoy it, but do you feel um, relieved when you go? That depends. Yeah. Um, I think it's awesome. No, no, I don't. Going. Well, I mean, like, I go for, like, medical reasons and stuff, but... Like I, um, I've never really been someone who was like confused about their feelings. You know, I'm like pretty spot yeah. on about like how I feel. But uh, living here now, when I moved here, like I don't have it. I don't like the people here. Right. Like I said before, I live in like a retirement community, and um, I don't really like made friends. Like how do you make friends at 35? I don't drink. Right. I'm not. Like, have you ever drank? Sober. 
Yeah, just like I get, oh, um, I have a, I have a chronic pain condition where I get like, um, I thought they were cluster headaches until I, I you know, I went and saw um, urologist and he's like, nah, you don't have cluster headaches. You just have like this random nerve that um, gets excited and once you like makes your eyes feel like they're gonna explode out of your head, yeah. you know. So, so alcohol I don't drink because that makes that happen. Oh jeez. Yeah. So, what's next for you? What's next for you? Oh man, future's always open, right? I'm just like, what do you want? I want it all, Jeff. But, you, but how do you? But all. how do you get there? How do you I get there? I'm uh, so well right now. Like I've actually like I've been trying to restructure everything. The market's changing, business is growing, people are doing different stuff. Like I said, Instagram's changed a lot, so I can't rely on that for marketing as much and um i want to do the things that i want to do and do less the things that i need to do so i have goal right yeah i bought myself a robot this week what kind of robot and it's gonna i bought a shipoko cnc machine it's like a little uh it's a toy you know it's not like a real one but I uh, got a couple upgrades for it, and I hope to be able to at least do some things to get me into trouble. You know, I don't expect it to be, like, pumping out manufactured parts at the end of the day, made out of, like, hardened steel or anything. But it might cut that slot out that I was talking about for the folders so I could prototype folders and shop. Taking the world by its throat, and you're trying to do it yourself. I love it. Yeah, so I've been doing, like... I've been learning so much 3D lately. I didn't, um, I, I, I've been awesome at photo. Like I said, I went to school for photography and all that, but I have been really good at Adobe software since I was a kid. I, for the young people out there before they were called memes, they were just called pictures that you Photoshopped. And, um, yeah, that was me growing up. I, I used to, Hey, right now, everybody Google bear spider. Oh, wait. All right. Bear spider images. Check out the bear spider. That first one pops up, just random internet thing. I, I photoshopped that picture. That's my contribution to the zeitgeist. Look at you! The internet. Look at you, Adam Balkovic. That's crazy. So you're taking it on your own. You're gonna start to. You're gonna use your. You're gonna use your robot more so you can make more memes. And then you're you're still making you and your wife Jackie are still making uh, handle material. You still doing that? Uh, so it's like the, my card is awesome. I really love the making it. It's so time consuming and, um, like Jackie's got like so much shit going on and it's been, we were doing it really consistently, but then it just kind of like stopped doing it as consistently, but I make it here and now. And I just made some this week. I got like, if you email me, I'm gonna make you a block. I might not, but, um, I am thinking that I might make molds and because I have this machine coming and it can do aluminum. So if I have it set up to cut these things out and I could just let it run while I'm doing something else, then like that was one of my big things with the CNC machine is like the market's changing. And I feel like people who I look up to or respect as a business person or someone who's doing more than one thing. Right. So as like a knife maker, I have this, like I have a big following. I'd say 70% of my following that is real 
is other knife makers and they're not going to buy my stuff. Right. That's the conundrum. But they, they buy supplies right. and I buy tons of shit from other people. Like I buy my machines and belts and all these things from people who are in the, in the industry because no one else making it. So I'm uh, thinking about putting out a couple things that I have in my workshop that I use that I don't show anybody. Nobody even knows about them. Like I, I think like a couple, you saw my fixture. I sent you that video. I grinding sideways with it. That was like my old one. I got a dope one now. And um, I was thinking about opening up like a side gig and see how, like see how well the machine works first. But like, there's a couple things I want to like offer and the micarta molds are. Can I just give like a um, little bit of a hint of what your fixture is? I don't want to be too, I mean, we can, it's just basic. Oh, for the, for the grinder? Yeah. Yeah, it's not. I'm not. I'm not like. I've changed it since that one a lot. Basically, what what uh, Adam does is he's able to uh, make a work rest off of that goes up against a small wheel, and then he's made a uh, he's made a like a it's an eight inch wheel, an eight inch wheel, and he's made like a jig, so that he can actually cut in his plunge line. Not not cut in a plunge line, but he can cut his bevels in. So with on this, I'm trying to explain this correctly, so that he can have the satin finish already built in. You don't, you're not going to have a tight plunge line. You're going to have a radius plunge line, but you're able to yeah. cut your bevels in. Your your knife is angled. This is a knife talk thing, but fine. This is your knife is angled, okay. so it's you know you're at the right bevel, but you're taking off the material off the wheel, and then you end up with a satin finish. Without doing the hands. Yeah, at least all the, the lines going in the right. direction of the of the point. So that's your next move. Your next move is you're gonna take over the knife supply business. I'm gonna Keep, put a boot print in it. Put a boot print in it. And what yeah. what what kick in the ass and you know, leave a boot print. Last question I'm gonna leave you with. I'm gonna I wanna know is how did you get your color theory to how did you figure out how you're gonna do your handles and then you create that beautiful contrast that i that i love so much about your work um smoke a bunch of pot and then i look at it and then i think about it and then i ask jackie what she thinks and then she says she loves it and then i glue it together you know there's a there's that's a my, that's my process the big thing now is the big thing now in the culinary world we didn't really get back to, we didn't really talk too much about that is i have friends who are chefs in the westchester and they're hot shit chefs and they're when i ask them how they come up with these recipes they always say i get really high and then i look at things and then i um i see how they match i also have another chef friend of mine i'd love to say who his name is but i don't think i will i he was such a high level he had such high level contrast that i said to him how did you come up with these goddamn recipes these these dishes are so well composed they're so beautiful it's just f foods you never thought he says sometimes i gotta go have a shit and then i'll bring a book with me and then i'll look at a ingredient and i'll look at like what all those what ingredients kind of go well with them and then he'll just have like a flow chart to figure out a dish mm -hmm. but it's oh he's like i he's like i my best dishes are on the shitter that's awesome i like that because i mean that's like i, I think like that too it's all about the flow it's all about you the know, flow. It, you got your basic rules. You know, your rule of three. Oh. Can't have more than... Oh, hang on. Hang on. I got an invader. 
Jackie Awesome. This is my my beautiful wife, Jackie Awesome. The great. Everyone's listening the to The great you. Jackie Awesome. Okay. What's up, Jackie? Hi. All right. Well, I don't want to bother you guys. Well, we're gonna, almost done, Jackie. It's nice to hear your okay, voice. Yeah. Sorry. All right. There she goes. All right. She's gone. So great, Jackie. We were, awesome. um, yeah. She's great. Um. So you got your roll three. Um. The what is that? The your golden ratio yes. kind of thing. Okay. So that's always really important, but that's not something like you want to like measure that out. You should you should be able to see that. Right. And like I think um. Like, as a designer or somebody, like, to answer your question, like, how do I do? How do I do what I do? Um, it's like, I don't do anything except filter. I don't know. I might not know what I want. I have no idea. I don't even, like, but I know what I don't want. And when I start to put stuff together, I know if it doesn't look right. And when it doesn't look right, I change it until it does look right. And then when I feel comfortable about it, I'm done. And that's the hard part. There's no one to stop. Knowing when to that's stop. Like, that's when you're a master. When you can like be like, that shit's flat, and I don't need to do anything else to it. I'm not going to round anything. No, it's, it's supposed to be flat, and I'm keeping it that way. Done. Knowing when to stop is a big deal, Adam. And I th- Let's stop this podcast <laughs> I think right we're going to live and let it go right here. Adam Balkovic awesome. is my friend. He is Built Sharp, B-I-L-T-S-H-A-R-P on Instagram. Go follow him. Go follow his wife, Jackie Awesome. She's outstanding. You can also hear Jackie Awesome was on an old episode of Knife Talk. We had a lot. Yeah, she had a lot of, of fun the back then. Originals. One of the, yeah, one of their old school ones. That was. We're so proud of her. She's so awesome, dude. She's terrific. She's a she's an awesome. You know, she she used to send me messages. Say, you're my friend, and I'm like, I'm your friend. She's lovely. I'm your she's friend. charming. You're my friend too. Actually. Back in the day when uh, Craig was interviewing people, he said to he he and I would talk a lot, and he would say to me, "Do you know any of any female female knife makers that would be interesting to talk to?" And I said, "Go go contact Jackie Awesome." So I'm super happy about that. Go follow Adam and his wife; they're outstanding down in Florida. He's I'm going to say this in the I said this in the beginning, I'm saying this in the end. When it comes to precision, machine finish, beautiful setups, just immaculate knives uh wonderful the colors are always i'm always very impressed with your color decisions i i I, if if that's all pot talking then i might have to start smoking pot again and i'm just very impressed with you as a person and i'm i'm proud that you're my friend well shit jeff thanks that means a lot no it's true 100 i'm with you 100 yeah no you're a good guy i I tell people you're a good guy all the time i'm like don't listen to what everybody's saying about him behind his back he's a good guy for some reason i get that a lot like all of a sudden people are saying all sorts of shit good luck i'm with you 100 whatever whatever people say that's what they say i don't got no problem with that but you're my friend i'm super glad you came on here and i'm fascinated by you and how you've taken these things in your life like goddamn Edward, Mary Edward Marie, you threw a dildo at her, and then you came out with you came out looking like Here a I champion, am. like a champion. Here I am, you and know? if poor Mother Edward Marie could see you now, what, sister, if sis, all right, we're gonna leave. This is gonna be the last quote of the day. If Sister Ed, Edward Marie could see you now, Adam, what would she say? Man, that'd be impressive because she dead. All right. Well, there she you go. Well, she dead now. That's all there is to it. And that said, I'll see you next week, guys. Go over to Instagram. Follow us. Uh, 
the full blast podcast on on instagram next week i'm gonna have we're gonna we're gonna celebrate not i mean not celebrate but we're gonna do a maker camp we couldn't go to maker camp this week so cliff dufton and john ariana are gonna come on we're gonna fool around and then i got tyler bell coming on don wins coming on Mareko Momasi's coming on. I got a few other guys, and we're going to get this thing squared away. So with that said, see you next week, guys. Thank you so much, Adam, and uh, I'm with you. Jeff, I had, I had a full blast, <laughs> not just a blast. All right, that's enough full. already. Thank you so much, guys. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.